Land reform is a very complex and motive subject, especially when you bring in three words, expropriation without compensation. To help decode the current debate um, on land reform, I'm joined today by Marie Antelmi, Coronation's economist. And to understand it within context, we look back at the ANC's land reform program's uh, progress to date and share some views on the path ahead for a new resolution. I'm Kirshni Totaram, and you are listening to the Coronation podcast series. Welcome, and thanks for joining me again today, Marie. In your article titled Matters of Land, which uh, you can find in the latest correspondent, you highlight that our ties to land are inextricably linked to our cultural identity and economic position. And while that's true and complicated enough, what is important is that in South Africa, it's profoundly complicated by our colonial and apartheid history. Mm-hmm. How has this context um, influenced the government's historic approach to land reform? And more importantly, why suddenly since December 2017, we've seen a massive increase in the expropriation without compensation rhetoric? Thanks, Kush. You're absolutely right. South Africa's complex legacies related to land and property ownership have always informed government policy. In the early 1990s, when the negotiating parties were, and at at times these negotiations really broke down, were in the process of agreeing the guiding principles that would ultimately inform what we have now as our constitution, they recognized that the role of land and property ownership played into wider issues of power, of entrenched rural poverty, and inequitable wealth distribution. The renewed debate certainly has its roots in the poor delivery that we've seen to date, not only in land transformation, but overall service delivery, um, which has contributed to quite a lot of extreme social frustration. I think that's really is part of it. And this issue of expropriating land is an obvious place for that debate to emerge. But I think we also need to understand that there are more complicated political factors behind the debate as well. When you talk about some of the more complicated political factors, I assume here you refer to the, the ANC making quite a bold move by owning the land expropriation without compensation discussion. They actually take away a lot of the key talking points that actually brought the EFF the amount of momentum in the Absolutely. last few years. Yes, I mean, I think that the issue of land expropriation without compensation sort of came in at the last minute into the elective conference um, resolutions that came out of that conference were sort of thrown in at the end. And I think there are two aspects to that. I do think, firstly, it does pinch the narrative away from uh, Julius Malema and the EFF, but it also gives the opposing faction within the ANC to sort of impose. Remember that it was his opponent in the electoral race, and of course, Zanet Lemini-Zuma's sort of faction who were really advocating this more than him. But it really gives them something against which to benchmark his progress, firstly, and secondly, to call him on a failure in progress. And as we know, this is this is a very difficult and emotive issue. So it's a real barbed aspect of, of that outcome. I think what we'll do is we'll touch on a bit later is just some of the information that's come out of the recently held uh, land summit. And we've seen the manner in which President uh, Ramaphosa has chosen to take ownership and leadership of this issue. But I think what let's focus on first is maybe just we know as a reminder that the ANC has its own roots and formation in um, in dealing with land issues. In fact, it was directly in response to the 1913 Land Act. 
But what seems to be a contentious or a source of uncertainty out there is what the Constitution, the Bill of Rights within the Constitution currently allows for in relation to, to land reform and why all of a sudden it's provided the source of uncertainty. Exactly. And I do think it comes down to interpretation. So when those negotiations took place and the guiding principles were put in place, the, the issues around property ownership were very hotly debated. And so when the Bill of Rights was put together, it's the second chapter of the Constitution, Section 25, which is the so-called property clause, was actually left intentionally kind of vague so that as time went by and cases were brought, they could was open to interpretation and hopefully jurisprudence would emerge as time went by to try and establish set principles. But what the Constitution actually allows for in the Bill of Rights is firstly three rights to land, right? Equitable access, tenure security, and restitution. It also provides for expropriation for two reasons, for public use and in the public interest. And this is very firmly where land redistribution and land reform sits, is in the public interest. And it allows for that expropriation to happen for, quote-unquote, just and equitable equitable compensation. Now, the big debate is whether or not just an equitable compensation could mean for nothing. And within that property clause, there are provisions under which or which need to be considered in determining just and equitable compensation. And I think the debate now amongst experts in this field is really whether or not just an equitable compensation could mean nothing. And that's where we sit today. And so what we've had is the ANC bringing a motion in February, sort of hijacking almost, the EFF's motion to reconsider Again, what this Again, another clever political move, right? Another clever political And to be fair, I think it needs to be highlighted that the motion that was voted for in Parliament was not the motion that the EFF brought, right? It was to review this clause, not to make a change to the Constitution, which is what the EFF was calling for. And I think that's a very important but subtle difference between the two. And at this stage, I mean, just to, again, just provide um, some sort of context on process. At this stage, we've got a target of 30 August for the the committee, the Constitution Mm -hmm. Review Committee, to actually come with its findings and um, And make a recommendation, right? And it's just a recommendation. So there are two things to bring in here. Firstly, that to date, there have been an absolutely overwhelming number of public submissions to that Constitutional Review Committee. Um, And it seems really quite possible that that deadline might be pushed out, right, just because they've committed to a high degree of public consultation. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is, even if the recommendation is made to review the constitution and possibly ultimately change it, you need a two-thirds majority to do that. Now, that would mean that the ANC would need the EFF, but the ANC's position on property and the EFF position on property are actually worlds apart, right? And so even if that recommendation is made, it's very unclear that it would actually pass. We know that the big risk that the ANC and in particular uh, the president has at this stage on the current process is that we do need to have some sort of momentum or we need some sort of pace behind um, a resolution. And not only is it in their best interest in terms of you talking about national elections next year, but the, it massively stalls the type of balance or the type of momentum that they're trying to put behind reinvestment into the economy, stability of some of the processes and bring about reform, economic mm. reform. 
Um, yeah, think- the two things are a little at odds. It does make things quite difficult because it's very clear that the uncertainty around land is a concern for investors and is likely to play out and undermine some of those initiatives. I mean, I think one of the key questions a lot of people ask is um, expropriation without compensation. Does it only mean that private land that has been purchased is going to be taken away from those who currently hold title? I think that is the concern that is expressed in the most sort of extreme interpretation of what is held in the Constitution. And I think there are, you know, people do get worried when the parameters and provisions are as broad as they are. But I think if we look at the evidence presented to date, so what policies have the ANC actually followed and what have they actually done, I think it's a little at odds with this kind of extreme interpretation. So in 1994, the ANC actually embarked on a really ambitious land reform agenda, and it was a three-pronged agenda. The first was to a restitution program, which had very firm parameters. You mentioned the 1913 Land Act. The restitution claims process required that land have been expropriated without compensation for racial reasons after the 1913 Land Act. And it had a very strong deadline. So you had to submit your claim by the end of 1998. And then the process was audited and each claim was addressed individually or in some cases there were community claims. But through time and under different presidents, this process has actually had some pretty good successes of nearly 80,000 claims, 75,000 claims have been settled, mostly financially to date. But that was the early initiative and momentum in the early 1990s was around restitution. Unfortunately, the two other prongs, the land uh, redistribution and then land tenure, have really had some failures and not gained the momentum that you're talking about. And so what we have seen is poor policy, changes in regulation, insufficient resources being put behind those programs, a different vision by leadership. So President Becky had a very different way of thinking about this to President Zuma. Um, and the whole process is really broken down. So what we do need is to see sufficient momentum in a, in a quite a contained debate with strong leadership to try and navigate some really emotive audiences. And I think what we've seen emerging out of the recent land summit held by the ANC is an attempt, and a quite a good attempt, to manage the process, to contain the narrative, and to put forward a policy that could be quite durable and actually have the transformative effect that we really need in this country. I mean, that's interesting that you brought in some of the options that they tried to push through or they started examining at the summit in terms of the credible options that government does have available to it, can make available to it in order to address the the rural peri urban and urban areas. And they brought in some interesting discussions, in particular, in relation to um, communal land. I mean, do you want to talk us through some of the credible options that government may have, and in particular, some of what arose from the land? Sure. And, And I think some of those options come out of two aspects. Firstly, as I just alluded to just now, is the failure of two aspects of the original land reform sort of program, and that is land tenure, which goes back to the tenure security aspect of the property section in the Bill of Rights. And then secondly, the land transformation. I think we need to be very clear that this is, or land um, redistribution, this is not a rural debate. This needs to be thought of in terms of urban land and peri-urban land, as well as, as agricultural land and ownership transformation. And when you ask about 
what is possible. I think we need to get beyond just thinking about land being given away, right? We need to address issues of access to job markets, access to assets which allow for economic growth. And there are options available to the government to do this. Firstly, the state itself owns a great deal of land, right? And state-owned entities own a great deal of land. Which people keep forgetting. Exactly. In, in, in areas close to cities, right, which could facilitate the kind of job search processes that have been such a hindrance to employment growth and, and other areas of economic growth. So I think those issues need to be explored. If we think about inner city slums, there are buildings that are occupied by people where the landlord is absent, right? We are already seeing this in parts of Gauteng. Those buildings arguably have very little economic value, but could be revamped, revitalized, title being given to those properties, and a whole process of inner city renewal could start just on the basis of those properties. I think maybe just looking at the, we talked about the fact that strong leadership, clear principles, and consistent implementation, visible lines of accountability, that's quite a big ask that we've got for the new new president. And, and I think the other word he used, he used the word oomph. There's a huge amount of energy and oomph in dealing with this land uh, redress issue. I mean, I would imagine we need to see is quite a substantial amount of buy-in from huge parts of the electorate, but also that this can't be just a fleeting uh, discussion point prior to an election year. There has to be some sort of tangible activity seen. What can you say about that and the consultation process? And I think you're right. I think firstly, what came out of um, certainly President Ramaphosa's introduction at the land summit that happened recently was that he stamped um, he very visibly took over the debate and he made some quite um, strong recommendations around how this process needs to unfold. So the first thing is that he became, he's very committed to this radical aspect of land transformation and ownership transformation. But at the same time, he acknowledged that the ANC as a government has not exercised all reasonable measures and all available resources to loop us all the way back to what we we're talking about, the constitutional provisions in delivering on that transformation. And I think those two speak to each other quite, quite closely. But he has also stuck to or recommended that the legal framework and the legislative framework around land redistribution expropriation be strengthened. And I think that's a very necessary part of the process. It also implies that he is reluctant to change the constitution, which I think might influence that debate a little bit. And he has also introduced the possibility of a broader approach to land reform by calling for the democratization of communal land and also emphasizing the urban empowerment initiatives that we've touched on, but which will include plans to provide title to pockets of urban land going forward. So I think what he's doing is trying to frame the debate. He's doing so through a strong leadership position. He is calling on the findings of the high-level panel, which was led by former President Kalema Motlante, which looked at the failures of the land reform program and made some very clear recommendations. He's encompassing all of these aspects into the framework for a policy going forward. I think you're right that there is some risk that we run out of oomph, right? Uh, the, he has, you know, many aspects of policy to consider, and this is just one of them. And there is a lead up to election, as you mentioned, in 2019 or possibly even earlier. But what I do think will maintain some of the momentum and needs to happen in parallel is that we need to have these sort of test sites for expropriations and redistribution happening on the side while the consultative process takes place. I think if 
we rely on the full cycle of consultation to happen before anything practically happens, I think we could become mired in some of the emotions, some of the tension that surrounds this particular issue. And I think that that would be unhelpful. Whereas if you have a few test sites and a few programs that you could implement in parallel and start to establish some, some practical aspects, I think that could make it a little bit more durable um, than would be the case. I mean, I think it's not only um, just the level of emotion that rises, but actually the true chaos and violence where you've got occupation of arms and land by citizens who are feeling frustrated, which is the lack of progress. But I mean, so you touched on that part in your article and just saying that if we fail in this undertaking to actually handle it in a mature and very controlled manner and thought out manner, that we leave the country vulnerable to the kind of populism that does lead to chaos. How do we go about getting um, a lasting solution, especially when you know, it's such an emotive issue, regardless of who you are in this country and your economic status, how do we move the debate past that level of emotion? It's, it's funny that you use the word mature because that's actually another thing that the president called for is a mature approach to understanding the available resources and what can be done. And, and Kirsten, I think that I think it's unlikely, as with many issues where people have suffered in a historic context and through the legacy of actions that happened historically, I don't think there is a solution. I think this is a journey. I think there are aspects of transformation that really need to be accelerated. And I think that we need to recognize that inequality is a blight on our society and economy. So what I think we need to do is think of land reform and all aspects of land reform, whether it is the, the debate around expropriation, whether it's is issues of restitution, whether it's issues of transformation, we need to think of it as as a process towards addressing uh, inequality in our society. It's not to say that there won't be pitfalls along the way. It's not to say that there aren't going to be flare-ups, that there may be occupations, that there may be a whole host of issues that need to be contained. But I think as a starting position, calls to engage with society, manage the process in a mature fashion, and to recognize the failings of the programs in the past are very constructive ways of approaching this very, very emotive issue. And I think, I mean, we mustn't lose sight of the fact that the end outcome of all of this is to get South Africa to a place that is a much better a country uh, and place to live for all of its citizens, you know, regardless of race or gender. Um, thanks, Marie, for this insight into what is a very complex topic and is likely to evolve quite significantly over the next few months as well. For those of you who would like to read more, you can find Marie's article titled Matters of Land. In the latest edition of our correspondent, you'll find it on the uh, coronation.com website as well as the correspondent app. And if you are keen to listen to more of the Coronation podcast, please feel free to tune in on the, on the website, the app, or alternatively downloads directly from iTunes. Thank you.